The story that happened to me yesterday, just to kick this off, right, to mm. break the ice. I was walking through Leeds, I'm a 41 year old man, minding my own business on the phone, right? Some young guy walks in front of me, young Asian guy walks in front of me, right? Double takes like this. He's like that. So he holds his fist out. I'm like, nice, one of our members like that I've not met yet. So I'm like, I'm on the phone to Lewis. And we're talking about Nick Brooks, who sadly passed away. And so I fist bump him, and he's like, ah, I follow you on Instagram. <laughs> I'm like, nice. fucking, I'm an influencer. Nice. Year old Instagram. I don't know you, if it's like you this. You made it now. That's yeah, a, man. That's I don't know if it's this or the Atlantic Grapple or what, but shout out to you, whoever you are. Okay, <laughs> yeah. Thank you. My one and only follower. The Instagram. Instagram <laughs> Good stuff. All right. What's up, guys? Welcome to the North Egypt's podcast. Um, today on the show, as always, Professor Mike. What's up? And we've got Professor Stefan here, who's a, a second degree black belt under um, uh, Ricardo Laborio. Right. That's correct. Yeah. Um, I had a look at Ricardo after you said he's like ADCC champion, right? Like, I, sounds I guess like a legend cool in the game. Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, I, I he's more old school. Like, you know, mm. he was telling me just I was in Norway with him just last week um, because I hadn't seen him for various reasons for about five years, um, and he was just telling me about a time when he was sat at dinner with with Carlos Gracie wow. and the family, the Gracie family. You know, like oh. literally, he was sat yeah, yeah. having dinner with them as, as a <laughs> Just kid. Talking. I don't think he was like 14, 15 year old kid. You know? um. So, like, in, in terms of legend status, it doesn't get much bigger than <laughs> he's this a, he's guy. An OG you know? for sure. Yeah, yeah, like super OG, you know, Valitudo fights. Um, so, like, it's good to be a student of Jiu Jitsu. That's what I encourage my students. You know, obviously, mm. like, we have young young people coming through and they don't, they don't really know. They're not aware of the, the legacy of <clears throat> jiu-jitsu, but like Laborio made this good point. He said, look, jiu-jitsu is one of the few martial arts where you can actually trace the lineage directly to the founders, you know, 100%. through your instructor, you know. So uh, you got your black belt from the esteemers, right? From Victor, yeah. Yeah, from Victor directly. So Victor can then trace his lineage and, and so on and so forth directly back to... Well, we do that on the legacy war because, you know, as, we hand, as I gave out some belts in the week and we spoke about the five... People in that kind of lineage there, yeah. there's one other that say Adiola, then Victor, then me. That's the way it is. It's like eight eight steps back. Um, yeah, it's important, that, isn't it? I think. And we, we had Robert Drysdale on the podcast, and he was really concerned and, and spoke about the divergence of the art to the sport. Mm-hmm. And these two kind of, when we talk about sub grappling, maybe we'll get into that a little bit. Mm-hmm. But if you're just purely down the sport route, you've kind of lost something, I feel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Are you? Yeah, it, I think it's a complicated topic. And we spoke a little bit before uh, about this. Uh, like, my opinion on, on jiu-jitsu generally is that I don't want to be a, just a black belt in jiu-jitsu with the gi. You know, I want to be a, a grappler. And I, I think when, you, when you're using different terminology, it slightly broadens the, the hmm. context. So... You know, for me, being a good grappler means I, I can know how to take somebody down. You know, mm-hmm. I know many black belts who will completely shamelessly say, I'm, I'm going to pull guard. I don't, I don't know how to do takedowns. But, it, you know, you're missing a big part of the game if you don't know how to execute at least a good amount of takedowns effectively, um, especially in a self-defense scenario, you know. And, uh, so, yeah, takedowns, wrestling aspect of it, uh, and then the sub- submission grappling aspect of it. You know, I know, again, many... I train with many like old school guys. Well, and when I say old school, there's, 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 then there's branches. Like you said, when you're going into the sport, jiu-jitsu, it's like, oh, heel hooks. No, we, we can't do heel hooks, you know, leg locks generally, you know. <laughs> it's, yeah. like, it's a taboo word. You know, even, even when you're rolling, if you're going, going for leg locks, it's, it's frowned upon. Yeah. Um, but I, I think there's, there's a movement towards um, submission grappling because it's gaining a lot of media coverage as well due to the different personalities yeah. involved in yeah, it. Yeah. So, you know, I have guys now that only train no-gi with me. And I always made sure I always had no-gi on my schedule. And, and, mm-hmm. and I, I, I teach a submission grappling class. I it's not just a rule-based uh, no-gi class. So it's just you know, submission grappling. So heel hooks, everything. So I make sure my guys, even you know, the, the white belts. So I have guys that will only train no-gi and, and they're, they're pretty high level. I was going to promote one guy. I was going to do like Eddie Bravo style. <laughs> and, you know, just, just go hand out a blue belt, you know. But I, I think I'll, I'll do that. Because I see there's a market for it. 
There is. There is a market. Like I have one student here studying in Leeds. Um, his main focus is MMA. So, you know, he's, he's rarely training in the gi, but he's, his level is, is very good. So. Well, we see that, haven't we, with, with people, potential customers coming in and saying, do you do no gi? Do you yeah, do some yeah. I'm like, no. That's all Scramble do. So if that if you want that, mm. you can go to Scramble. So mm. we're gonna. Well, I, f I feel that's maybe a little <clears throat> a little gap that you have that you're not really filling. So if you, if you could like add that into your schedule, I think well, you give it three weeks. Just <laughs> in January. In January, we've not announced it yet. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. So this comes out on around the thirtieth, thirty first. So shall we announce it then? Yeah. <laughs> right. Thank you for the kind of segue there. Appreciate yeah, it, man. Yeah, so as of the new year, the schedule is going to change. We're going to have an all levels no gi class twice a week. Perfect. So perfect. anyone, any level can train no gi, and then a GB three no gi class, blue belts and above, sub grappling. So we're going to have heel hooks, the full works. So that will be in our schedule for everyone mm. as of the start of January, which is awesome. That's perfect. I think I think since uh, since we talked about that the other day uh, a little bit. Um, Felipe Pena, who just won uh, Worlds, put out a post on his Instagram being like, mm. um, that he's always kind of retired from gi grappling and he doesn't really like gi grappling anymore, like what it's become with like the Paul Guard 50 50. And, uh, <laughs> oh, oh, oh. <laughs> and, yeah, yeah. and he uh, now wants to move more towards like the submission grappling stuff and do that mm. pretty much exclusively, I guess. Yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, I don't know the story about that. I know there's a lot more money in some grappling. And I think if you're yeah. a high-level guy and you want to get on, I think it's more more that reason than mm. anything. You, you know, it's like I I love to train in the gi. I enjoy the intricacies, the you know the complexity of, of the gi game. You know, Mike yeah. and I were talking a little bit about worm guard, and you know, it's, it's a system that I've been studying deep now for like six or seven years, and and I find it gives me an advantage yeah, <laughs> yeah. over over people who don't know it. Yeah, and that's just that's the bottom line. So it's. It's the game of human chess, you know, we're constantly evolving, we're constantly trying to outthink and outsmart our opponents, and that, that really is more the gi game. Um, and, and to me, no gi is, is a different dynamic. It's still jujitsu, but it, it, it has that different dynamic. You know, a guy who has physicality yeah. is often going to be, is going to have an advantage to some, some degree. You know, I, of course, I, I, that guy's super athletic, he's young. He's going to be hard to hard to keep hold of, you know. So it's just a different dynamic for uh, depending on how you want to you want to train, you know. So I think the gi is easier for beginners, generally speaking. So if, I, if I were introducing people to jujitsu, I, I encourage them to do gi first. Generally, I said, look, do some gi first, and then jump into the no gi. Why? Why is that? Because it's a bit, it's a bit slower. You think it's slower? Yeah, yeah I, I, just because it kind of gives you these handles, instinctive handles. The instinctive handles are that you want to grab something in a fight. Mm. <laughs> you know, that's what happens. You just grab something. So you, when beginners come and train, it's the first thing instinctively they're going to do. They're going to grab. So at least it gives them some kind of, it's like a rope, you know, they're, they're holding onto it. Like, yeah. yeah, I can survive this somehow. If well, I... so it's the reason Hoist wore the gi in UFC, right? Like he, he knew by wearing the gi, his opponents were going to go grab him. And, and they, when he grabs him, he connects. Grips, yeah, yeah. yeah, and then he connects. And then now you're only an arm's length away from me the whole fight. Rather than in and out, yes, around yes, and around, yes. it's, it's perfect. And for, dare I say, older gentlemen like me and your good self, mm. it slows people down, right? So Absolutely. these young spunkers at 100 kilos, di diving around all over, yeah, yeah, yeah. you need to slow them down, you need to tie them up. Yeah, yeah. Would the devil's advocate argument against that for beginners be that um, being choked by like or someone being able to control you via kind of grips can be quite alien to them. Of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, again, that's, that's more down to the individual as well and how they're kind of philosophically approaching the idea of being tied up in jiu-jitsu. Mm. You know? Can they deal with being choked or dominated in, in whichever way, gi or no gi? So I, I, I think it really is, is how the individual perceives the training that, that they're doing. You know? I feel the gi is just generally more more accessible for beginners. And mm. that's the experience that I've seen over, over the years. You know, I've been teaching like full-time since 2013. So I had hundreds, hundreds, of probably thousands of students that, yeah. that have, you know, come and gone. And what in, would be your time. message to them philosophically if you could impart your, because you, you strike me as, uh, well, I know you fairly well, Stephen, but not deeply, but you strike me as quite a spiritual philosophical, yeah, philosophical yeah, man. For sure, for sure. So what are you, what would you impart if a new student comes in and many of our students, many people listening to this are new students to Jiu-Jitsu, mm -hmm. not done it for more than six months. 
What, what was your message to them with that experience? Yeah, you know, for me, the, the <clears throat> philosophy of jiu-jitsu is, is very fundamental to my personal teaching. It, that's not, I, I don't want to kind of go against other guys because some people, they, they maybe don't pay attention to, if you like, a philosophy of behind what you're teaching. So if we, we trace it back to the ancient samurai, the, the, what they call it Bushido. So it's like a, a moral code of conduct right. that, that, that you can have, that you can live by. Um, and in a sense, I think that's necessary because when you learn jiu-jitsu, you're, you're being given great power you're over other people. You know, the ability to break their arms, potentially choke them to death. And, and so with that, with that power, there's responsibility as well. And if you're not living by a, a, some kind of framework, some kind of moral code of conduct, then it can become a dangerous thing. Uh, and that's where the ego is allowed to, to run wild and you know, potentially use jiu-jitsu for negative purposes. So for me, having a, at least an instructor who's cognizant of the philosophy behind what he's teaching and has an idea, okay, why am I teaching? What, what is the benefit of, of you learning jiu-jitsu as, as a student? You know, to me, it is. It's not just a technical journey towards jiu-jitsu proficiency. It's also a philosophical, uh, mental, emotional journey towards self, self-improvement, self-development. Um, and again, like I was saying to you about giving the belts, you know, if I, if I feel like my student is not benefiting um, as a person from the training, then they're not improving themselves through training. I think they're missing out on something beautiful in, in, in jiu-jitsu. Jiu-jitsu is an amazing vehicle for self-development. It's kind of meditation, if you like. You know? yeah. So some people will have their different forms of uh, meditation where they can look inward uh, on themselves. But I think jiu-jitsu gives you that added little, little push because it's, it's social, it's engaging other people and it's pushing you out of comfort zones that you won't necessarily push yourself out of. Yeah. You know? And that's, that's the really, really powerful benefit of jiu-jitsu over to be honest, many other forms of, of personal self It's the shared adversity, isn't it? I think that I find often creates those super tight bonds in such a short amount of time. Often people, we, were, we had our, a year anniversary the, the other week. I sat down on the back of this chair here <clears throat> and I was looking around and I rarely personally kind of notice like my own personal achievements, but I sat there and I was looking at the room and I was thinking, man, it wasn't the fact that there was that people were here doing jiu-jitsu, it was the fact that I, I thought, None of these guys knew each other mm-hmm. in April. Now they're all best friends, eating together, having a drink together, training together. And it's the shared adversity. Yeah, yeah. It's pushing themselves past those boundaries, the perceived kind of limits of their own physical and mental kind of ability. Together, I think that really, and the honesty as well of opening yourself up yes. and allowing yourself to lose, it's okay. We walk around, don't we, quite guarded often with people yeah, that we don't vul- know. Vulnerability, I, right. I think that's it. It's, that's it. So it actually ties into this idea of the ego, which is, you know, it's very common in Eastern martial arts, you know, Buddhism, the idea that the ego is the biggest hindrance towards self-realization. And, and jiu-jitsu as a vehicle for destroying the ego, there's, there's, not, there's nothing greater, in my opinion. As above the door. No egos, you know. This, this, I think, especially for men. I think for men, the, the ego is is the hardest thing for a man to deal with in, in his life. I think it's quite a primal thing. Yeah, it's a primal thing, yeah. yeah. So it's kind of like that, that push towards, um, if you like, civility, you know, civilizing our, our minds, if you like. So you know, maybe you've heard the, the saying, you make savage the body and civilize the mind. So this is essentially the, the idea of the, the ancient samurai that they would become great martial artists and very proficient in the the forms of fighting, but also the most educated and, and intellectual of, of their time, you know, the philosophers, the, uh, the scholars of the time as well. So to me, that, that archetype, the archetype of um, the, the warrior scholar, I think is, is really fundamental to my philosophical approach towards teaching. And, and I'll, I'll have this similar conversation with every guy that comes through my door and I'll say, look, this, this, is, this is the way I teach, you know, I, I will honor you, I will be in your service. I'm not better than you. You know, even if I stand out in front of you in, in a lineup, it doesn't matter, you know, your journey will be unique to you. And if you can fight your own inner demons and you can put in the work and the dedication required to reach a black belt, then you've, you've made a, a truly remarkable achievement in your life. And, you know, that's the thing. The black belt is not just 
okay, you've achieved that technical level. That that's a life story, you know. Yeah. And I, that's how <laughs> that's very much how I view my own black belt. It's you know, if I talk about my journey, it's it's been it's like I've lived ten lifetimes in one, you know. <laughs> To get to just this point mm. now. 100%. On your point of that, uh, I, I love that juxtaposition between like what we're doing is like, you know, on the mat and we're like fighting like this, you know, c coming out and then like going away and then doing something like scholarly. Like when I re visited London recently and like going, doing like comp team training at like GB Fulham, and then like spending the rest of the day at the Natural History Museum or something. It's like <laughs> that, that juxtaposition I find super like, as much as, as, much as your individual capacity allows, you know, it's like the, the idea of <clears throat> intelligence, I think, is a very misunderstood stood thing. You know, it's not knowing things. It's been just cognizant, if you like, or, or self-aware of, of your reality, you know, not falling into traps of prejudices, for example. You know, with, it's developing your mind is fundamental to our human condition. And I, I think if you can just at least be aware of that, according to whatever capacity you have, then you're, you're doing something, something beneficial. And like I said, that's what I will encourage for my students to do. You know, don't, don't, don't have prejudices, don't hate, don't hold anger and hate in your heart. You know, just be, be open and, and allow love to, to connect us all, you know. Do you teach that uh, as in through jiu-jitsu in the same way you might not want to fall into a trap in jiu-jitsu, you might not want to fall into a prejudice trap like that? <laughs> or, or do you teach it like, separately? Or, um, I mean, of course, you know, the analogies for life and jiu-jitsu are, are, are endless. You know, it is truly the game of human chess and uh, there's so many dynamics. And I, I, I mentioned I played, I played competitive chess myself, so it was quite interesting when you're sat across the board from somebody, like in person playing, it's not just about the, the technical movements, you know, there's also a degree of psychology in there, you know, that even your, your body movements, you know, your facial expressions, um, you know, you can see if, if the guy's concerned, if, if he shows it in his face. So there's, there's so many layers that, that you can go into it. Um, so it, it's this in a sense in, in education, we call it being a reflective learner. So this is a, a theory of education that you should be able to uh, encourage your student to reflect upon their learning because this is one of the best ways to um, if you like reinforce and, and enhance the development of your, your students let them reflect upon what they've learned but just not just in terms of technical levels but you know what did you achieve personally were you able to to do the six rounds of sparring you know did you last did you survive did you did you not give up in, in, in a bad position where you know you maybe didn't have to give up so this is your this is your own personal struggle and it's it's a very beautiful thing if you if you can understand that and you can embrace that uh, and make that part of your jiu-jitsu journey and then you know that's why we do have very close communities in, in jiu-jitsu because yep. given the right instructors because it's not that I must add the caveat it's not just every instructor is able to bring this this out and, and develop this in in their community maybe you've, you've heard of some some unfortunate things in the jiu-jitsu community recently regarding the treatment of women you know the the you know all of these things of course we're, we're not perfect human beings but at the same time like i said we we have to be self-aware of our of our of our own failings and try to do our best and be the most honorable versions of ourselves that we can and you know, I'd like to think I live and die by, by honor. You know, for me, that's, if, if I say something, I, I, I mean it. You know, that's, for me, that's fundamental. You know, and I carry that over into my relationships with people. Yeah. You know, it's, for me, it's, it's death before dishonor. Yeah. If I'm say, saying I'm doing something, I'll do it. If I, if I say I'm loyal to you to, to, to do whatever, that's the way it is. Yeah. There's honesty there, isn't there, I think. And again, just taking that back to jiu-jitsu, we, we had Tom Harrison and Steph and I used to train with Tom years and years ago. Uh, he mentioned it first on the podcast about jiu-jitsu being a real honest martial art. You can't, you could go on a, a heavy bag and look a million dollars, but no one's punching you back in the face. In jiu-jitsu, it's honest. You can either grapple or you can't grapple. <laughs> if you can't grapple, you can get found out by someone half your size pretty quick and it attacks the ego, like you say. So. That honesty, I think it's important to carry that through. I wonder whether talking about the kind of <clears throat> the physical, the mental development and the search for 
information. It's just about kind of progress and growth, like just full stop. As right? a human being. Yeah, yeah. Yes. just continuous striving for personal growth. And on that point, often I'll say to, to our students, to my students, you can have a terrible, terrible time on the map, but you can always take one positive thing away, man. Like you said, did you, if you got tapped six times last round, did you <laughs> tap five times this time? Yeah, it's, it's progress still. And we've got to see that because the journey is difficult, isn't it? And a lot of people are looking for those quick wins, that kind of instant gratification these days. And they want that stuff. They're hungry for it now. Jiu-Jitsu makes you slow down, man. And the, the game is a long, it's a long journey. Yeah. Well, I also say, I also tell people, you know, like some of my students, they'll come to me after training, like, oh, man, it was a tough session. I was like, look, if you can do this, you can do anything in life. <laughs> you know, like yeah. everything else starts to become easier, right? Or, you yeah. know, generally. Um, if, you know, if you can survive rounds, getting beat up from, from the beginning, knowing nothing, and you can keep coming back and you keep lifting yourself up. This is, this is character building. If Man, you, I, I sure. say in the morning at 6.30 classes pretty much every week. I'm sure you, you, you're bored of hearing me saying it, but same thing. And I often say at the end of class, when you're sat in that Zoom call with your boss later on, like 11 o'clock, and they're giving you shit about your sales targets, You've just had half a dozen people trying to strangle you to death. <laughs> just look through that camera and just think, man, this sure. is not difficult. Yeah. That, that is the tough stuff, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I sometimes apply that. Even before I started to like work in jiu-jitsu, like, uh, if I just applied the same amount of effort I put into jiu-jitsu, it's like learning another language. I'd have learned it by now. But yeah. like, you know, it's just like that, that amount of like dedication, time like, off and away the mats you spend. Like, so why research. does jiu-jitsu then on that point? So what is it about jiu-jitsu? Because it is, it does pull people in and it kind of gets under your skin. Is it, because we talk, don't we, like the community is really strong here. Is it the community? Is it the tactility of it? The fact that we're connected to humans? Like what, or is it the combination of the skill, the physical, the mental, the spirit? What do you think it is? Yeah, it, it includes so many factors. As you say, it's a combination of things that encourages community growth and personal growth as well. So right. the idea that you are personally developing through the training, that self-development idea, I think, is is fundamental. And then when you have a collective of people doing the same thing, right. that's what you're uniting upon. And that's why we we are close. You're like, oh, man, you've got a scrape on your face from trying. Yeah, man, I had one as well. I got bruises all over my body. With like, you know, it reminds me of that movie Fight Club, you know. Yeah. So so th this this book, it was by a guy, the, the guy who wrote the book, I don't know if you're aware of the book, is by Chuck Palanchuk. Um, and it... it it was very deep philosophically, the book, because it was really about um, men not having a place in, in the universe, <laughs> if you like, yeah. and becoming slaves to the daily chores of life, you know, being slave to the pursuit of money, slaves to the pursuit of material things. Um, but through fighting, you start to see the world in a different way. Yeah. <laughs> and that's pretty much how, how we do jiu-jitsu, you know. The more I train jiu-jitsu, the less I placed importance on other things. And uh, I think that's, that's part of the journey. Um, and that's how I try to guide as best I can my, my students and, and encourage them to be open-minded and um, reflective upon their learning. And then everything that happens to them in life, you know, the good and the bad. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I've been on such a journey to this point. You know, I had I lost my dad a few years ago. Um, you know, incredible loss, injuries. You know, potentially never training jiu-jitsu again. Yeah. Um, you know, it doesn't get any easier. Three months ago, I had emergency appendicitis. You know, did you? <laughs> yeah. I did have that, right? Yeah, yeah. Wow. Uh, like I just like I only trained like three weeks with the World Pro. Um, so it was in I think uh, September, September the sixth. I went in. And when was it? When was the Open though? The English Open? That well, was it was a week was after World Pro. So yeah, September the sixth, yeah. I had emergency surgery for. Uh, it was about my appendix was about to rupture. So I, I went yeah. into hospital in the morning. By the evening, I was having the surgery, um, and then the World Pro was the twelfth of November. Damn. So twelfth, <laughs> yeah, twelfth of November. <laughs> So, so yeah, like I mean, I, month, yeah, it, it, no excuses for anyone out there. Either. 
was like, so I was thinking of competing, but like, you know, take my fingers away. The doctor said, just waste six weeks, don't do anything. I said, I said, look, is it okay if I do jujitsu? And of course, they don't know what jujitsu is, you know? Oh, yeah. So, <laughs> so you know, you say jujitsu to these guys, and like, oh, it's like karate, right? You know, you're not touching anybody else. I said, man, it's more like wrestling, you know? So. <laughs> But yeah, I, I mean, I feel I feel okay now. You know, I feel physically not not too bad. And <laughs> you're still an active competitor, so we saw you compete in the English Open. So that was the first time I've competed in five years. Wow. Um, so I have severe disc degeneration, and my lower lower vertebrae, my L4, L5, have completely degenerated, which means there's no more disc left. So my vertebrae are actually fusing together. <laughs> Wow. At the lower level, yeah. So that, is that through sorry to interject, is that through jujitsu or is that Well it, it's probably a lifetime of sports, you wow. know. At sixteen I left school to to play professional football. Uh signed for Barnsley did uh, you? as a kid, yeah, yeah. I did my YTS at Barnsley and the year they were in the Premier League, you're old enough to remember that. <laughs> yeah, so, I am yeah. indeed, yeah. <laughs> so it was the year they were in the Premier League. I was a schoolboy at Leeds, so like Leeds and Barnsley, they always had very good academy sides. Mm. Um and the Barnsley Academy was, was, was very strong. I think getting to the Premier League was a good example of it um, at that time. Don't ask me how long ago it was, it was quite a while ago, but yeah. So, but that got me into, into football. I did, I did about four years of professional football. I bounced from a couple of different teams. I played in, in France for a year um, with a team in the north of France. And then oh. once my, my football career looked like it was petering out at a professional level, then, then I made a decision to, uh, to go back to university or to try to study so yeah where you learn arabic right yeah yeah so i i this is a, a kind of crazy part of my story yeah i um, my dad was german and i was always impressed at the way that he could speak multiple languages you know mm. he spoke to me in english even though his mother tongue was german and then he lived in france for many years he spoke french and i was i was like man dad how do you <laughs> you switch between these Person languages guy. you know yeah. so you had kids as well in france france with a, an, uh, another woman so i have a half brother and half sister and he spoke french exclusively to them you know as the first language so i was like that's that was such an amazing thing so my father was a, actually a classical pianist so on my birth certificate his profession was down as concert pianist Jesus. that was his profession so I mean, he, he was he was a genius in, in every sense of the word. You know, his it was incredible. I didn't really realize it that much. It was really more now. I reflect upon it now after he died quite suddenly, two thousand nineteen, January the first. Um, but yeah, he was. He Did was, you have a good relationship with him? Yeah, I mean, my mom and dad divorced when I was young, so I like he he left, traveled around a little bit, settled in France. But I would visit him regularly, and mm. he was he was a huge support in my football career actually. He, he really wanted me to succeed in football. He got me, um, he actually got me a spell at Tottenham. Um, I was in the reserves at Tottenham. So after Barnsley, wow. I, I had spells at Tottenham and, and Crystal Palace for a couple of years. I was living in London. Um, nearly broke to the first team of Crystal Palace. It was it was it was this close. Terry Venables was the, uh, well, was the coach at the time, you know. What position did you play in football? I was centre forward. Yeah. Well, yeah, striking. So of course, you know, there was always a lot of competition at, at the, the top level yeah. for, for those places, especially, you know, forward. I, I felt like I was okay. I felt like I could, I could play, you know, <laughs> like I felt like I was competitive, but I, I think, I don't know if I could say philosophically, but I, I don't know if my character matched f the footballer yeah. mentality yeah. very well, because I was always quite, if you, if you can say reflective as a human being, you know, even in my, my early teens, you know, and I found like the, the egos in football very distasteful, yeah. you know, really distasteful. So when I encountered, so I, after I finished playing in France, actually, I came back from France and I started playing just semi-professional to start making some money. And this was 2000, the year 2000. And I started doing some youth work in, in Leeds, um, in Beeston. <laughs> Uh, with a group of guys, and, and there was a guy there that was doing jujitsu, and that's the first time I started training jujitsu. A guy called Max Gillespie, uh, very much unsung hero of jujitsu. Jiu to be honest with you, he's widely regarded as one of the toughest guys who's ever done jujitsu here. All of mm. those old school guys like Mabsy, Mabsy was under him, oh, under wow. Max, Max Gillespie. So, yeah, he doesn't even have social media. He'll probably never see this, but. Yeah, I, I can credit him for. Um, I can credit him for pushing me 
on my philosophical journey of, of jiu-jitsu as well, because he was the first one that used to talk about Buddhism and ego and how the ego is a hindrance of, of our realization of ourself, if you like. I'd say football's probably the opposite of what we're talking Absolutely. about, particularly nowadays, because it's all money. It's yeah. all ego. Even then, even then, I mean, I remember going to Palace and I won't mention the names, but there were a couple of players there and, you know, the, like the young players around my age, I was about 18 and, you know, they were, they were fancied as, as top level guys, you know, so they were already getting paid the big money and, and you know, it was just like the egos were just out of control, absolutely out of control. Um, it, was, it was just... I, I found it very difficult to identify mm. with that character. It just wasn't me, you know. Just, yeah. I just didn't have that that type of character, and I think that's what really took took a lot of my love of football away. You know, mm. the kind of as well the tribal nature of it, just just the ego fueled nature of football. It was it was completely uh, in contrast to jujitsu. You know, when I encountered jujitsu, I encountered people who were incredibly tough guys, incredibly tough. All of those guys I used to train with back in the day, they, they were bouncers, um, but the nicest human beings you ever meet. So like the toughest guys you could possibly imagine, but some of them, the nicest human beings I've, I've ever known in my, in my life. Well, they don't need to project an ego, do they? Because there's a kind of almost self-assurance in knowing deep within that you're able to overcome adversity and you're able to defend yeah, yourself yeah. and others that you care about. Well, that's so you don't need to project. It's just that's the journey of jujitsu, right? Yeah. It's like okay, so now we we train like I I trained I I put in a lot of work over the past twenty years. You you know what I mean? It's like we know we are generally confident to defend ourselves. If our lives depend on it, we'll do okay. You know yeah. what I mean? You know, we'll <laughs> obviously if the guy has a knife or whatever. Self defense is it's a different matter, but yeah, you know, this is the type of confidence that you you have after years of training. So, yeah, I was grateful that I, I met those guys. And uh, so, yeah, you were talking about Arabic. So I, I basically, because I was so inspired by my father, I, I wanted to go to university. And I said, you know, let me, let me study a language. And I wanted to do something a little bit unorthodox rather than a European language. I was thinking of German because I only really knew the German swear words. You know, my dad always spoke to me in English. You know? <laughs> so I felt a little embarrassed because, you know, my name is very German. And then people were like, oh, you don't speak German. Whenever I meet a German person, they're like, oh, you don't speak German, but your name is the most German name <laughs> in the world, you know? Um, but yeah, it was, for me, it was actually, it was, um, it was a choice between Chinese, Japanese, Russian, and Arabic. Well, so I, why, why Arabic? Well, I did a little bit of research into all of them um, before I, I started applying. I actually applied to the Chinese department at the University of Leeds. But their entry requirements for, I, I, was, uh, I went as a mature student, I was mm. 21. Um, so the entry requirements were a little bit tougher than the Arabic department. The Arabic department asked me just for like an entrance essay, like why you wanted to study Arabic. And um, at the time as well, it was 2002. So this was just after September the 11th, which was 2001. Yep. So it was literally all eyes were on Middle Eastern politics. It was, it was very relevant. It was, it was current at the time. So I thought, okay, let me, let me go and do Arabic. Um, I was interested by the idea that you could spend a year in a, a, an Arabic speaking country as well as part of the, the language courses. Right. This is what they'll do with all language courses. You know, if you study France, you, could, so you, you, spend, yeah, you spend a year in France. You know? <clears throat> so it was a four year degree. Um, I spent one year in Morocco during my studies and, and that basically started off my traveling to various parts of the Arab world as well, just to, just to improve my Arabic. And it was such a fascinating language. It was, yeah. Culturally quite different too, right? So yeah, yeah, of course, of course, culturally, it's, it was an incredible journey, of course, yeah. Did you discover Islam at that point or was that before or after or? Uh, I mean, that's, that's a complicated topic, but, um, I, I was obviously as part of our studies as well, we had Middle Eastern studies, we had religious studies. So um, I was very well versed in, in Islamic culture, you know, before going to the Arab world. And I, I knew kind of what to expect. It, to, to be honest, it was more like a conservative Britain, if you like. You, you know, if you, think of, if you think of Britain in uh, you know, the 30s, the 40s, you know, when it was very conservative, when... You, you know, your grandparents would stay together until the day they, they, yeah. they died, you know, as my grandparents did. Yeah. 
And, you know, if you look at like even the dress of the women was more conservative. It was more, um, it was just kind of philosophically, that was the accepted way of the culture. So if you like, the Arab world still maintains that conservatism philosophically, which is obviously is connected to the religion, but it's, yeah, that's how I would describe it. Interesting. So where did uh, where did the jiu-jitsu journey end up? Did you uh, did you continue jiu-jitsu while you were at university? So yeah, yeah. Whilst I was at university, that's I was training here in Leeds um, with with like I say with this group of people and, and the type of jiu-jitsu I was doing then it was really more of a nogi jiu-jitsu and this was up from about two thousand to two thousand five. We we were doing MMA. We put the gloves on. We, it was very old school training. You know, I was I think I was telling <laughs> telling Mike. I remember I was concussed one time in training because my instructor, he put boxing gloves on and he put me in the mount, mount position. He just punched me and said, okay, you've got to escape now, you know? Uh, I said, I don't know how to escape. He said, well, you're going to know how to escape in a minute. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and this guy, and it, I mean, he put on just the, the craziest mount. I'll never forget, like I still remember it now, you know? He just, the craziest mount, just punching me, just didn't hold, hold back, you know? <laughs> uh, Arguably, that's not the best approach to take with your students now, you know, but for, for me, it was, it was, I think it was important. It was important for me and my character, you know, because I wanted to be a bit tougher, you know. Yeah. I wasn't, I wasn't super tough as a kid. I was bullied a lot. You know, I like, I stood out, my hair was ginger, you know, my name was different. I was always a little bit different to the kids, you know. So I kind of always felt like I was a little bit on the outside. So I, I had quite a, a fragile um, shell, if you like, you know, my, my personality wasn't, wasn't super powerful, but I, I think through, like you said, through jujitsu, you, you gain a different type of confidence about yourself and what you can do and learning jujitsu really changed, changed the course of my life in many different ways. And I'm, it's funny that you still remember that experience. I think we've spoke again before. We always remember that first moment when one of the first moments when you, it's that kind of like the light bulb goes on and you realize that the power you thought you had as a man, perhaps or a human, is powerless against someone who knows a bit more than you. I was chatting to Professor Lewis the other day from Harrogate and we were having a similar conversation. He said like, <clears throat> every now and again, he said, do you sometimes have to kind of like, kind of put some people in that kind of place? And I was like, every now and again, like there's that one person in the group who is like being a bit of a bully with other people they're not yet rolled with you or someone at that level and you just need to sometimes just roll with a little and this is this is what it's going to be like so and then you notice the ego just drops again and the light find the place it's it's a big responsibility as 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 an instructor you know you're leading an academy you you have to you have to take on that role of of if you like mediator um, (laughs) if you like yeah but at the same time being ready potentially physically to, yeah. you know, just say, look, man, let's, let's have a little roll and, you know, just, and that's, that's what was always my philosophy. I wanted to be ready for anybody, no matter who, who they were, whoever they would come through the door, I would say this, this, the one had a roll, they could roll. I remember there was one MMA fighter, he came, came into the gym a few years ago. Um, this was before my back was bad, so it was maybe around 2015. And I was about to compete in the World Pro and uh, it was like two weeks off from the World Pro, and he was super aggressive. I said, I just want to go easy, you know, like, but he was super, super aggressive, and I was like, man, this is not the role that I, <laughs> that I, I wanted, you know, but you just, yeah, you, you have to play to it. He actually ended it, he put me in a body lock, and he, he ended up popping my intercostal. I actually severed my intercostal. Wow. It was the most brutal injury I, I ever had, but it was... Yeah. Well, just from a squeeze? Or yeah, just... he basically, he was a heavyweight. Wow. He was a heavyweight, had about 20, 20 kgs over me. So he, um, yeah, that <laughs> was pretty brutal. But I ended up competing with a torn intercostal. It was the craziest thing ever. Literally every, every movement I could feel. Yeah, it's it. the just, worst in that, yeah. I don't know if you've had that injury no, before. No, I've, I've had a cartilage pop off the rib. Yeah. Similar thing. Sounds similar. And so every time you move or breathe or anything, it's yeah. just that kind of pain. It's, in it's insane. That was the worst, worst injury I ever had. But mm. yeah, I still competed through it. Like a lunatic, you know, as we do in jujitsu. <laughs> <laughs> so what's 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 happening for you now, then, mate? So you still out? We've kind of discussed this off off camera a little bit, but yeah. explain to me more. What's your story? So, so basically, like like I said to you, I was out for, I was working for a company um, in Saudi. That's actually how I I ended up teaching jujitsu full time. So around 2013, 
there was a project. I was an English teacher, so my background is in, mm. in languages. I have a master's degree in applied linguistics, so oh. which you, you could, if you, if you don't understand that term, it's basically the science of teaching. So my, my academic background is, is in linguistics and the teaching of, of language, um, which that experience would end up coming in very handy in my jiu-jitsu teaching as well. Even I was, I was, I keep toying with the idea of writing a PhD on, on the language of jiu-jitsu, of if you like, and, and the way that we can um, approach teaching and learning in jiu-jitsu and, and the comparison between language development and language learning. I think, there's, yeah, I think there's a lot of interesting crossovers there in, in the way we acquire a language and the way we acquire you know, physical information. Well, it is a, a, it is a, a foreign language. language. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, so, like I said, it, in my teaching approach, I use principles of learning language and I apply it in my teaching of jiu-jitsu as well. Mm. Uh, I, I feel that's that's been a, a very powerful metho methodology for me in, in teaching. And Yeah. Um, so, what was the question? I forgot. <laughs> so, your journey now, so you yeah, yeah. arrived so, in so Saudi yeah. English teacher. So, yeah, I, I was I was with the company there in, in Saudi, and I was there for four years. And um, for the first two years, I was leading the kids program. Uh, I was training under black belts of Ricardo Laborio, who was controlling the whole program. Um, I took my black belt in 2016, and then I ended up taking over the program. Mm. Uh, as a whole, so the whole that adults program. It was it was actually an MMA program, so we had Muay Thai, we had an MMA instructor, and and the Jiu Jitsu program as well. So, um, but then around it was 2018, my my back took a turn for the worst, and I, I was I, I'll never forget. It was actually it was about January, early January 2018. I I actually well, I was in England in December. And then I, I got back to Saudi and I just, I got up one day and I, I, I had to crawl out of bed. <laughs> I had to crawl just out, out of the bed. Blue? No, no, it, it was, it was a culmination. Blue. It was just like, you know, that's it. You know, my, my back had just, just gone. Wow. So I spent the next few months literally just, just crawling around. It took me a couple of hours before my body was able to support my own weight. Um, and that was, like I said, that was the, the degeneration of my discs had, had reached critical mass, so to speak. Uh, um, and it was at that point, actually, that the company that I was working for no longer saw uh, benefit in my services, to put it in a, in a nice way. Um, and, and they let me go. Um, and yeah, it was, it was a pretty dark point because at, yeah. at that point, you know, I lost, I lost a good job albeit a very demanding job. You know, I, I worked a lot for that company. I, I worked, you know, my, my body into the ground. I put my heart and soul into developing the students. Uh, I took students to the world championships. We, we were the, the number one team in Saudi Arabia. Even though jiu-jitsu was quite new, there were still other teams, but within a short space of time, we, mm. we'd become the number one team in, in Saudi. Um, my youth program was was... I'd like to think pretty pioneering, you know, structure-wise. Um, I had I had a couple of kids win the world championships at juvenile level, wow. um, which was which was a, a which was a good is a very good achievement <clears throat> yeah, because yeah. the level the uh, juveniles you you're, you're competing with the Emirati guys, yeah. and they've had the jiu-jitsu program there for for over ten years. Yeah. So you know, like any time my kids would go to to the, the Emirates and beat Emirati kids, this was a huge thing. Um, so in general, that that whole work, that whole body of work there was 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 pretty pioneering. All of the instructors that contributed towards that over the years, and um, it, I'm very proud of of what I did there. You know, yeah. but like I said, it wasn't my business, it wasn't my academy, but I, I literally gave <laughs> everything. You know, my my physical body, uh, you know, my mental health as well to, <laughs> towards that, and then unfortunately was quite unceremoniously um, dumped from, from that That's position. Ball, yeah. And yeah, I had basically no choice but to return to England at that point. And I, I was trying to seek uh, uh, treatment for my back. I saw several doctors throughout 2018 in the UK and into early 2019. And the thing is, but, but because 2018, I, I took the year completely out. I, no rolling, no jujitsu. I wasn't able to do anything. Mm -hmm. I couldn't even lift weights. Because I, 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 even sitting down was, was really uncomfortable. It was, 
it was some of the darkest days of my life, you know. Um, but it was interesting because um, <laughs> it was funny. Uh, I'll never forget my sister saying to me around December 2018, I was like, oh, you know, like I said to her, like, like, it can't get much worse than this, can it? And she said, look, look, it's not going to get worse than this. This is as bad as it's going to get. And then my dad dies January the 1st, 2019, you know, and that was like, that was very sudden. He, um, he died very suddenly. So like the shock of that, yeah. it was, you know, it's really low, low point. Um, so out of work, you know, incredible loss in the family. Um, I ended up seeing a doctor in early 2019 who we had a, a, another, a more recent MRI, and he said, look, the discs have completely died. Now <laughs> your vertebrae are going to close together and fuse. Um, you need four-level spinal fusion. That's, that's my current state. I need four-level spinal fusion, which will be f about three surgeries probably take over a year, maybe two years. Is that going to happen? You need to do that? Well, the thing is, the doctor said, look, because it was interesting. I, just after my dad died, it was interesting because physically I, I, I was just so fed up with everything. And, and, you know, I was out of work. I couldn't even work. You yeah. know, I was living off my, my mum. And, you know, like I was, I literally had nothing. I had no savings. Um, <laughs> so... I mean, this is, this is the story, you know, the story of the comeback. And, and then 2019, I was like, you know what? I, f I feel like I can move again, you know? And then I approached my friend and I said, look, I want to come down and just, just try to do a little bit of training. Mm -hmm. My friend here in Leeds, um, and then he offered, he said, look, can you teach some classes? I was like, yeah, man, I'd, I'd like to teach some classes. Um, I started teaching again and then just slowly throughout 2019, I just started, I started feeling, you know what, my, you know, my body's responding pretty well to this, you know. I started, I was able to lift weights again. Um, at the turn of 2000, so 2020, a couple of years ago, I got the opportunity to go back to Saudi and um, due to a number of different, different things colliding at the same time, I had the opportunity to open an academy the, the setup, everything was ready to go. I opened my academy in, on February the 8th, 2020, and the worldwide pandemic was de declared yeah. March the 8th, a month. Yeah. It was exactly a month later. I, you know, obviously, I remember the time, time frame very clearly. So, yeah, we, uh, I started doing things that nobody had ever done in Saudi. I started a ladies' program. So my ladies' program, when wow. I left, was head and shoulders, the number one ladies' academy in Saudi Arabia. Um, and obviously, like, jiu-jitsu had developed a lot since over those kind of years, since we started with, with my old, old gym, which was 2013. Mm. To this point, there was a lot of other competitors at that point. So, you know, I had like a little, it was probably my room, my, my academy was about the size of your, your main room there. And yeah, we just, we just worked it up and I, I literally crawled my way back from the brink, from the edge of <laughs> the edge of destruction, and 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 crawl my way back up, and you know, for me, like the, my my goal to compete in the World Pro was like that's the culmination of of my story. You know, it was it was not the same me who used to love to train hard. Maybe just before 2015, 2016, I trained with some of the best guys in the world. I, you know, I felt physically at a good level. You know, but obviously over the years, physically struggling, you know, just to come back and compete, it was very symbolic for me and it was something that I wanted to do. So even, even having the, you know, uh, the setbacks of like the emergency appendicitis I had, you know, recently, I was like, you know what, I'm, I'm going to come back and I'm going to do it at, at least just to kind of inspire others. You know, physically I was, I was feeling okay. Like uh, today, like I said to you, I can roll pretty hard and, you know, yeah. you, you won't feel much difference, you know. Um, in my jiu-jitsu, but I, I do need to be careful and cautious to, to keep the longevity going. It's a great but, achievement, mate. Congratulations. Yeah. And I think a good, <clears throat> a good way to start to wrap this up, but I, anyone listening needs to kind of reflect on that um, story, really, because there'll be, there'll be people here who have a similar journey, people listening who have a journey which isn't straightforward. Most of our journeys tend to ebb and flow, and there'll be periods of time where you're unable to train, you're injured. You don't get much worse than that. You know, changing countries, losing your job, injured, can't train, spinal surgery potential on the horizon. But there's always a way back. Provided you stay 
the, the, Mentally. Do, the doctors told me I'd never train again. Right, wow. You know, they said, look, you should never do jujitsu again. <laughs> so, you, like I said, in, in terms of symbolism, mental willpower, determination, you know, the fact that I came back, that the World Pro was the first time I competed in five years. You know, it was, it was a five-year break. And I had competed regularly, yeah. at least every year. I wasn't like, because the competitions weren't uh, super regular uh, over there during that time, but I'd at least try to compete in the big tournaments once or twice a year, you know, so... The, the symbolism of coming back after great adversity, great struggles, going through the darkest moments uh, of my life and then coming back to compete. You know, for me, that's my, my personal Yeah, well, congratulations, mate. There's a lot about you, I think, as a person. Um, so what's next? A little bit in limbo at the moment. Uh, we had some issues with the gym in Saudi. Um, I have a lot of loyal students there who want me to go back. So I'm, I'm kind of just juggling a few ideas at the moment. You're trying to get back there, would you like to go back? Um, it's a complicated situation at the moment. Right. So we're, I'm looking at all of the possible scenarios. I, I did, one day I wanted to come and open a gym in Leeds. Um, and I, I, I was telling Mike, I looked at this spot before, you know, because was, I knew the guy who was coaching here and I was like, was a real dump, you know. <laughs> but uh, man, but the location was so good. Then when I saw Mike open up here, I was like, man, he's, he's, he's nailed it, you know. And yeah. I think the success, like I said, said Mike's success is really because there is a little bit of a void for well-organized jiu-jitsu here in, in Leeds. So I, I think really you've, you've nailed the market to a, to a large extent here. And yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm just, for me, I'm happy that people can train jiu-jitsu. And I'm, I'm, I'm glad that you have such a beautiful academy. Thank you, man. I wish you guys all the best and I appreciate you welcoming me. Well, you're welcome anytime, time, you know that. And um, for as long as you stay, whenever you're here, you've always got a place to train here, man. Appreciate it. Uh, appreciate not having to wear the Gracie Baja gi as well. You, <laughs> might, you might get me in the gi, you know, but... <laughs> <laughs> I'm not asking, man. You do whatever no, you want. I appreciate that, man. I, I appreciate it. I appreciate you, mate. Thank you. Well, um, thanks so much for doing this, Professor Saba. I think uh, equally as uh, I listened to you do, do the podcast with uh, Dee, as I said, um, and I think was, at the end of that, I was like, man, I wish it went on for like another two hours. Oh, we could talk for yeah. all day. Yeah. No, so I, much I've always scratched the surface yeah, of the story. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, but... I want to keep going, but um, let's get, get you back on soon. Um, sure, sure. Me, me and Dee are planning to do uh, a whole podcast just about uh, Miyamoto Musashi and quotes from him and stuff like that. So you're going to have to jump on with a samurai talk, right? Um, while he's in Leeds. Yeah, so, yeah, um, yeah. So plugging that real quick. So we've got Adisa over uh, visiting and doing a seminar for us on the 3rd of January midday. Yep, so we'll still have a few days to try to book onto that. And that's going to, all proceeds going to go towards my charity campaign, the Atlantic Grappler. So that's going to help the hospital in Leeds. Um, and you'll be around over Christmas for a couple of weeks? Around over Christmas, yeah. So yeah. we'll see you again, man. Yeah, and, uh, beyond the mats. Thanks again for your time, bro. Much appreciated. Thank Cheers. You. See you guys.